Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined as always by our managing editor of Horns247, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how's it going? I'm doing well, Chip. How are you doing? I mean, we're always talking football, so that's that's flipping fantastic. But Texas baseball. Holy cardiac arrest, uh, Batman. Yeah. Uh, the Longhorns, they survive a near-death experience at East Carolina. And they are moving on to Omaha for a record 38th time. And we will we will get into that, Taylor. You're, a, you're from a baseball family. Your dad was a member of the Miracle Mets in 1969. He was the only... Well, he and Nolan Ryan were the only rookies on that team. You're, you have an older brother who was a first-round draft pick of the Detroit Tigers in 1994. You've been to Omaha. So you can especially appreciate what the Longhorns did in this Super Regional against East Carolina. And it was interesting, Taylor, because they the committee could have flipped a coin as to who was the eight seed and who was the nine seed um in the in the postseason but they gave the eight seed east carolina which meant they got to host and you're thinking okay you know they call it the jungle there um but the last thing you expected was for pete hansen the you know first team all big 12 uh pitcher and and stud for the texas longhorns to go in there and struggle and he did i mean gave up Six runs in four innings, five of those earned, and and Texas gets beat in game one, and you're going, uh-oh. And then they are down uh, to the nubs, down seven to two in, in game two, and it took uh, heroics from Doug Hodo, home runs, home runs from Doug Hodo, Skylar Messinger, Dylan Campbell uh, to even – uh, the score at seven all, and then Texas goes up eight seven, but gives up a run uh, in the eighth inning, and so they have to score uh, in the ninth inning to win it nine eight. And Dylan Campbell with the walk off uh, RBI single to get it done, and and then Tristan Stevens, what a story to come back and and you know perform well in a starting role in the critical game three of that super regional after losing his starting position a month ago, uh, kind of a, a fairy tale uh, story for the Longhorns, not really expecting to need, didn't really expect them, you know, to need a fairy tale story to get out of that super regional. But sometimes Taylor, you can come out of those situations thinking, you know, kind of like the, UT softball team, they're zombies. They they don't believe they can die. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a scary team right there. You know, if if you had that much, you know, faith and and like your ability and your um ability to come to come back from that, because that was shocking. I mean, you know, it seemed in that game one chip, it was like the closer Texas got to it, it was like everything fell apart then. And that it was it was definitely a shocking ending for sure. I mean, that eighth inning when Texas cut it to a one-run lead and then, you know, gives up five runs in the bottom of the eighth inning. That was, you know, the the ball bouncing out of, you know, out of the glove over the, the center field fence 
really was a bad omen for what was about to happen for Texas because that really kind of started getting things rolling more so in East Carolina's favor to shut it down. And, you know, coming out of that game, I was thinking, oh, Texas isn't going to go to Omaha this year. And I was very surprised to, like, even think that way, um, especially, you know, knowing that they were going to have at least three games. And as we mentioned, you know, Tristan Stevens being the guy that they relied on, he hadn't had a start since April 30th. And for him to really come through, all things considered, I mean, you have to th- consider this, Chip, like, obviously, there was that five-hour rain delay that the, they went through, but he'd already gotten warmed up, like, before they started playing the game. So he was already warmed up at that point. And then, you, you know, Texas was the away team in that game three. But that, to me, I was just like, this is not good for Texas at all, that they're relying on, you know, Tristan Stevens as a starter. He's probably warmed up already, ready to go, then has to sit there for five hours waiting. And with baseball, it's such a mental game that you you don't want to put your – Pitchers, especially, I think, in that type of scenario, if you can avoid it at all costs, obviously this was unavoidable for Texas. So for him to really come through in that game three chip was so clutch. And I think it's one of those where I think Texas fans probably are like, that's the Tristan Stevens we were expecting to see this season, you know. Um, And I'll say one thing that I think with him, you know, I think that just showed really his his pride, I think, in playing for the University of Texas, because obviously he he's not really like a draft candidate. I mean, maybe later rounds, you know, type of draft if he wants to go and basically get a plane ticket to go play in the minor leagues. But he's not, you know, a top round guy. And so him really coming through in the clutch just to me showed a lot of pride in, you know, his how he feels about this team. And then obviously, you know, the the outcome showed that this could be a scary team that you don't want to face in Omaha. I mean, if Texas can really um, bounce or, or, you know, use that the last two games of that series as momentum going into Omaha into a difficult bracket, you know, facing Notre Dame first off, um, you know, that that could be really, really crucial in how the trip to Omaha plays out for Texas. Yeah. And you mentioned the, you know, Texas giving up those five runs after cutting um, East Carolina's lead to one, um, and they give up those five runs uh, in eighth inning. And it was Tristan Stevens who gave up those runs. Right. I mean, yeah. he lasted a third of an inning, mm-hmm. gave up four runs on three hits. And so for him to come back in that absolutely – a uh, critical starting role in game three and deliver the goods. You're, you know, kudos to David Pierce and Sean Allen for believing in Tristan Stevens and putting him in that position uh, to get it done. And, and kudos to Tristan Stevens for, as you said, waiting out the rain delay and, and coming out and, and getting it done. I mean, they thought he would go maybe four or five innings. He went six innings he was fantastic. Um, Texas obviously got off to a great start, thanks to Ivan Melendez, who yeah. gets a three-run bomb in the first inning and breaks Chris Bryant's BB Core uh, home run record of 31 since they have deadened the bats in college baseball in, in 2011. No one had hit more than 31 home runs in a season. It was Chris Bryant at, at San Diego. Now it's Ivan Melendez at Texas. And, and so they get off to a great start and Tristan Stevens is able to pitch comfortably with a, with a nice cushion. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, the thing that scares you is what happened to Pete Hansen, right? 
you know, he's the guy who's just been ice water in his veins. His control's been so fantastic. He, he's not going to kill you with velocity. He's going to kill you with location and his ability to make pitches look the same. And and he he just got, you know, he got run. It was a rough outing. Now I expect him to come back and pitch the best game of his life against Notre Dame in, in game one of uh, the Longhorns' appearance in Omaha. But uh, they need it because Notre Dame, Taylor, this Notre Dame team had their nine position players. Eight of them are seniors. Four of those are fifth-year seniors, and the other position player is a junior. I mean, this is a Notre Dame team that um, you know rallies around each other. They're they're not phased. They field the you know they field really well. Uh, they're a good hitting team at, at 294, but they steal bases, they run. And like Texas, they have a lefty starter who they rely on, but their bullpen is the strength of their pitching, whereas Texas's starting pitching is its strength. And you kind of hold on for dear life when Texas goes <laughs> to the bullpen. Notre Dame has a freshman lefty closer named Jack Finlay, who is just uh, killing it. He he shut down number one Tennessee over the final five innings of their game three. And in this, and he, the kids shut down Tennessee in the final two innings of their game one win. So, and he's got a sub one ERA. I mean, this kid is, um, man, he, he just brings a presence to the mound. It's amazing he's a freshman. Texas is going to have to put some runs on the board and keep this kid from, from, you know, being able to come in in a save situation because uh, he looks pretty fearless to me, Taylor. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, it's going to be interesting um, to really watch chip, because if you think about it, excuse me, with Texas, I mean, the strength is they're, they're hitting right now. I mean, as a team, Texas is batting 318. And then obviously you have Murphy Staley and Ivan Melendez that are just raking the season, obviously, but it's not even just them. I mean, Dylan Campbell came up big, Trey Faltini, you know, he is, I think what, I think he's at 15 home runs now. I mean, there, there's a number of guys, you know, that really can get the job done from, from, um, you know, the plate really. And they're going to really need to rely on that. You're right. Because when Texas has to rely on its bullpen, it's, it makes you a little nervous and like anxious, honestly, watching it. Um, even, you know, like they could have a really cushioned lead, you know, and it still doesn't make you feel all warm and fuzzy if you know that they do have to go to their bullpen. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a really tough challenge. I think this the side of the bracket that Texas is in with, you know, Texas A&M, Oklahoma and Notre Dame. That's pretty much that's a pretty big gauntlet. And you definitely don't want to be fall into the losers bracket. No doubt about that, you know, because there are so few games are days off if you do lose, you know, especially game one. I mean, that's like the worst game that you could possibly lose. So Texas really needs to um, come at it hard. And you hope that Pete Hansen can get back to the Pete Hansen of the regular season because they're going to need him for sure in this first game. And you're going to probably want him to go as long as he possibly can to make it to where Texas doesn't have to rely on that bullpen that kind of, you know, gives you heartburn when you think about them coming into the game. Yeah. I mean, Jack, and, and just to reiterate, um, Jack Finley, uh, in four postseason appearances, he's given up one run on three hits, 
with four walks and 12 strikeouts in 10.1 innings pitched. So, I did? Like, my I mean, goodness. <laughs> sub one ERA in the postseason, 1.99 ERA for the season. So, I mean, this this kid is you don't want to see him coming. He's he's reminds me of Houston Street. Yeah. Um, back in 2002, you know, when Houston Street came into the game, it was turn out the lights, ball game's over. Uh, and this kid, Jack Finley, has that kind of presence for Notre Dame. So, Look, their starting pitching is gettable. You can you can get to their pitchers, and um, you know they're not their uh, their coach um, is not afraid to sort of platoon a bunch of guys until he can get to Finley. So you've got to get to Notre Dame's starting pitching, put runs on the board, and and keep them from getting into a save situation. But you know, taking down Tennessee. Texas had beaten Tennessee earlier in the year, but Tennessee was the most, um, you know, the most offensive team, even more than Texas going into the super regional round. And now they're gone. And you mentioned AM and Oklahoma. I mean, you got to give it up to Jim Schlossnagel at AM. AM did nothing last year. And now they're a feared team. They beat Texas in Austin earlier this year. Uh, they, they don't, you know, they just do everything well. They're just a really well-coached team. They play with confidence. And then Oklahoma, when Texas last saw Oklahoma, it was an 8-1 Oklahoma win in the championship game of the Big 12 tournament. So, and Oklahoma wasn't supposed to be, you know, doing this either. It was really, um, you know, TCU, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. Um, and so, you know, Texas has the revenge factor against both AM and OU. But as we all know at the college world series, it's how is your pitching? Mm-hmm. Um, are you able to keep your pitching lined up and, and not, you know, go through a bunch of arms in, in getting wins. So it's going to be fascinating. Vegas has Texas as a, you know, they were an early favorite uh, because they went to the championship series in Omaha last year. They know, uh, what it takes. They lost to Mississippi State in a gut wrencher, and and they've got you know a great hitting baseball team. And when Pete Hansen's on and Lucas Gordon's on, and you know Tristan Stevens has been coming out of the bullpen, it's going to be really interesting to see how David Pierce handles uh, that pitching rotation. Uh, hopefully, over a long run in Omaha. Yeah, yeah, because. I mean, I love the College World Series in general. Like, it's one of those sporting events that I'll tell anybody, if if you don't even like college baseball or don't even like baseball, but you have an opportunity to go to it, you go. Like, it's it's such a cool experience. I was able to go in 2004. I know some Texas fans may not want to hear about that experience because it was when they did lose to Cal State Fullerton. But um, at the time, I was dating a guy that played on the Cal State Fullerton team. So I got to experience – it was at Rosenblatt, so it was more of the – the you know historical type of park that was kind of a dump, but it was so cool just to be in Rosenblatt you know stadium there, and uh, and you know I haven't been since they've been, what's the new stadium called TD Ameritrade TD Ameritrade that's right yeah so I haven't been since then but still I just feel like it's just such a special unique type of event and it's really fun when you stay the whole time I'll say that and so you know if there are Texas fans um, going 
you know, it, it is really cool to make it to that championship series if you've never been to it. But you hope that that's what Texas can do. And I think that this team is there's there's no like the way that I look at this team chip is kind of like if they are on, there's no reason that Texas shouldn't make it to the, you know, college world series, uh, finals, the championship series, excuse me, I guess, you know, so they're, they're that good when they're on. It's just when there are the questions, you just never know what's going to happen. And, um, and I feel like with this year's team chip, I was talking to um, my dad actually about it. I feel like what, what you're seeing from Ivan Melendez is obviously something historical because he broke, you know, Chris Bryant's record, as you mentioned, um, hitting a 30-second home run. You hope that this team does it for him, you know, like right. to see him keep going. You know, he's a Golden Spikes Award finalist, and he deserves, with, with what he is doing, not just only as a home run hitter, you know, he's just been so um, lethal from the plate in general. I mean, whether he's hitting home runs or – base hits or whatever it is. I mean, he's not just a one trick pony or like a home runner bust type of guy. And he's having such a special season. You know, you hope that this team can really rally around him, especially. Um, and real quick on that. So I got a message from an ECU fan. Um, that's a member over at 24 seven sports at the ECU site. And he sent me this DM and I'm going to read this to you. It's about, um, uh, Ivan Melendez. So he said, I was in the jungle when the Hispanic Titanic hit his first home run. It not only went over the fence, cleared the tall trees, passed the parking lot behind the trees, but bounced on the other side of a four-lane road. I've never seen a ball hit so far. <laughs> I, I read that. I was just like, dang, that is pretty crazy. But like, I mean, he's just such a special guy that he's not going to be back next year. I mean, he's already, I believe, a redshirt junior. So this is you know, his last hoorah, you know, I guess at Texas. And you really hope that this team can really come together and let him show all of college baseball how special and, you know, electric of a player that he has been for the Longhorns. Yeah, and that three-run home run in the first inning against East Carolina in game three should have cemented him as the winner of every National Player of the Year Award. Collegiate Baseball's already given it to him. He deserves the Hauser Trophy and the Golden Spikes Award uh, because of the historic season he's had at the plate. He's He made his second error, his second fielding error of the season at first base uh, over the weekend, but he's been great at fielding in his position. And remember, that's a big part of the reason he came back. Right, because he was, right? he was a DH last year with Zach Zubia at first base, and he wanted to show scouts – I can field a position. I'm a position player, not just a, a bat, even though the DH is now, you know, universal in, in pro baseball. But um, and kudos to Ivan Melendez for for doing that and yeah. and getting what he wanted. And now hopefully getting what is unfinished business from last year and that, you know, that gut wrencher, that four three loss to Mississippi State uh, with the national championship on the line. So uh, I think it's, I, I think you're right, Taylor. I mean, I think this team is, is rallying around each other and the fact that, um, you know, they took that punch uh, with Pete Hansen struggling and Tristan Stevens struggling in game one. Uh, that was your one and two starter going into the year and answered. I mean, when you least, expected it down seven to two people were turning off TVs left and right. 
and boom, boom, boom. Um, you know, those big home runs get them back in the game and, and they find a way. So uh, this is one of those situations I think where, you know, they can all look each other in the eye and, and almost say, we shouldn't be here. So let's take extreme advantage of this opportunity and, We'll see. They're a fun team to watch. I'll say that. Yes, they definitely are. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get to football because yeah. football season year round here on the flagship podcast. And we are starting a series, a summer series uh, this week. We are ranking Texas's position groups from 10 to 1. Okay, so today... It's going to be a little tough today. We're, we're asking Texas football to look itself in the mirror, make that change and do better. Uh, Taylor, because I don't think this is going to surprise anyone at number 10 in our position rankings, the offensive line. Yeah. Shouldn't and, surprise. If you listen to the flagship podcast, it shouldn't surprise anybody that this is number 10. And it is um, – I did a little research for this. Okay. Like going to pro football focus. I don't know. People may want to sit down <laughs> uh, for this because um, – well, let's give some love to Derek Kerstetter because he actually was the highest rated um, offensive lineman on the team last year, and he was the 17th rated um, – pass blocking tackle in college football last year. And, and so, you know, give him credit for that. Right. But, um, and he was a decent run blocker, but he's gone. He's right. gone. Yeah. So your he's best offensive line <laughs> is gone. The other two tackles, Taylor, Andre Carrick and Christian Jones. And I said him in that order. were not, among the top 998 offensive linemen in college football last year in pass blocking. They were, they were, they got sub 50 grades and yes, it's that scale. You want to try and make a hundred. Uh, they were below 45 and, and these are the, the returning starters with experience, right? Who you're counting on to protect, uh, Quinn Ewers or Hudson card and, and allow the quarterback to find all these, you know, suddenly stacked um, receivers. Mm -hmm. And that's horrifying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're a Texas fan, that's the worst thing that you could hear. I mean, you get all these good skill players. You have arguably, I'm not even, I'm not even gonna say arguably you have, in my opinion, the best running back room in college football. I don't even want to say arguably, because I think that, there, Texas has the number one running back room, and yet you have a big roadblock in front of all of it, all of it. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's I, I, I was surprised. I, I thought it was at least better than 44.8% uh, in terms of a pass blocking grade for, um, for Andre Carrick. And, you know, Christian Jones, we know, has struggled. And uh, they moved him to the right side, which felt a little bit like, okay, this is your last chance, right? Uh, before the big boys come in, the you know, 
top rated offensive line recruiting class in 20 big boys as an 18 year old big boys as an 18 year old yeah um, who probably still eat every meal at mcdonald's but um they're it's dinner table you got to hope they came in ready to work because uh to say there's opportunity is is an understatement and remember this is a offensive line room that has thinned out um isaiah hookfin we reported weeks and weeks ago is going to end up on a medical scholarship because of that motorcycle accident he was in last december um and so you don't have a lot of experienced options jalen garth uh, hardly has any experience but someone has got to step up at that tackle position because the pro football focus grades are pretty good for junior angelau as a run blocker uh, pretty good for jake majors as a run blocker um you know both need to step it up in their pass blocking but they're well above where um andre carrick and christian jones were graded the the point is there's you know there's no there's there's no one who is absolutely you know proven themselves uh outside of junior angelau as a run blocker um to hold down a starting position i mean and that's that's not what you want to hear i mean our man dan neal who two-time All-American at the University of Texas, two-time Super Bowl winner with the Denver Broncos, says, you know, and hopefully everybody listens to the flagship podcast that came out Monday. He said, you don't want a freshman playing on the offensive line. Their body's not ready. Their mind isn't ready. Um, you know, maybe there's that unicorn here and there, but remember the Brockermeyer twins at Alabama redshirted last year. Right. So, and they were five stars. And so – this is this is where we are, Taylor, and this is why the offensive line is number 10 out of 10 in our position rankings. Yeah, and I was gonna say, Chip, too, when you know, when you were saying that you hope that some of these recruits that are coming, you know, or that are now, I guess, on campus, but the summer enrollees, you know, are ready to go. When we say that, we're not saying that because that's an ideal situation. We're saying it because it's that's how dire the situation is. Um, because I have seen a few times in some of the comments on the YouTube video when we've talked about the offensive line, um, some of the YouTube comments have been about, you know, you don't want the offensive linemen to the freshmen to have to be relied upon. And we agree, like a hundred percent. The thing is that that's not the situation that Texas is in right now. And that's an alarming situation to be in because what, as you mentioned, you know, we had Daniel <clears throat> on for the, the interview podcast, <clears throat> excuse me, I have something in my throat. I keep choking over it. But uh, for the interview podcast on Monday, and he said exactly that. I mean, this is a guy who was an All-American, you know, as, as Chip mentioned, a two-time Super Bowl uh, winner with the Denver Broncos. So somebody who obviously knows offensive line play. And, you know, he said himself, you know, that's not an ideal situation that you want to be in. I had sources during spring practice tell me that they're like the offensive line was so bad that there's going to be probably at least two true freshmen starting on it. And they didn't believe that those two true freshmen were even on campus yet. None of this is us supporting the fact that, you know, Texas is going to be in a position to potentially have to rely on one, if not multiple true freshman offensive linemen. That's just the the truth to 
the situation. And this is a this is a tricky situation that Kyle Flood's going to navigate. You know, I've said it time and again, too. I don't think any coach in the country would want to be in his shoes to have to be in a position to potentially rely on multiple true freshmen. He didn't really have to do that at Alabama, you know, and this is not an ideal situation for any coach. It's not one that any coach would want, but it's unfortunately that that's the situation that Texas is in because of the poor recruiting at the position in the years prior to when Steve Sarkeesian and his staff got on campus. And so, you know, I think that when, you know, when you look at the grading that you had said with Andre Carrick and Christian Jones and how poor it was, I think if you're a Texas fan, you pray to God that those guys, a light bulb turns on for them so that they don't have to rely on true freshman offense alignment. Um, and that's that's the best case scenario. And it's just really hard to see that best case scenario playing out, Chip, when, when you look at the actual facts and the stats that really matter and how, you know, they're not even in the top 998. Is that what you the 998? Yeah, that's, that is unacceptable, you would think, for – a position group at the University of Texas, but that is that's the reality of the situation. So, you know, it's unfortunate. Like Texas State had three three <laughs> offensive tackles ranked higher. You know, I mean, a lot higher. Like they're they're they were in the top two hundred. Texas, two of the tackles they relied upon didn't make the top nine hundred ninety eight in yeah, pass yeah. blocking. That's that's confounding, and. You know, people have said, well, why didn't Texas go in the portal to get offensive linemen? They they did whatever they could to right. get Devin Campbell and Kelvin Banks to come, and the promise was early playing time. Yeah. So you'd rather develop um, high school talent and have that for three years than a quick fix, and I get it, but we have Xavier Worthy and, you know, Jordan Whittington and and Isaiah Nair and a Jay Hall and Tariq Milton. Listen, Kyle Flood's going to earn every penny yeah. of that contract. So Steve Sarkeesian, because they're going to have to call plays and possibly redesign things the way that Texas did with Colt McCoy and Jordan Shipley in 2009, where you're rolling the pocket a bunch. It's, it's not ideal, but whatever it takes, you've got to – uh, find ways to keep that uh, quarterback protected uh, when, you know, basically you had two revolving doors. Well, again, kudos to Derek Kerstetter. Yes. You had one, you had one revolving door uh, on the other side and that cannot happen. If Texas wants to improve on, um, on 2021. Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, Taylor, let's move enough. Enough of this. Uh, everybody knows. What's yeah. Going on with the line. <laughs> so second worst. <laughs> Just kidding. So the second worst. And there's good news here, people. <laughs> um, number nine in our 10 position rankings as part of our summer series. We'll be uh, rolling out each week over the next uh, several weeks is special teams. Now, there's a reason. That special teams, which performed really well last year, uh, is number nine. And it's pretty much because Dicker the kicker turned Dicker the first team all be 12 punter is gone. And he handled kickoffs, field goals, punts, and he did it unbelievably uh, for, for four years at Texas. And 
look, you're a Longhorn fan. You haven't had to worry about who's kicking field goals for the last four years. Not since Dicker kicked that 40-yarder with nine seconds left against Oklahoma in 2018. And you're like, oh, my God, that kid's a freshman? Okay, he can yeah. handle it. He can handle the moment. And and so with no Dicker the kicker and no sure answer right now, this is to be determined who's going to be kicking field goals. Um, and, you know, with Dicker having averaged 46.7 yards per punt last year, first team all big 12, uh, those services being gone, special teams is number nine, Taylor, because of those unknowns. Yeah, and and the unknown, because if you look at it, I mean, I wasn't at the spring game. Did they kick any field goals? I mean, that's the the thing. Like, they didn't even have Will Stone on campus, you know, and so, yeah, there's, there's such They did a, kick some field goals, but it was not pretty. Not memorable, yeah. <laughs> Things that you want to erase, you know, like take bleach to your brain and make sure that you never see that spot again, but – yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge unknown. And and you're right. I mean, Texas fans have been kind of, um, I guess, spoiled a little bit, I guess you could say, with, with special teams being what they've been because they've been so good. I mean, Texas had its first ever Ray Guy Award winner just a few years ago. I mean, that that first ever in program history, you know, and, and then follow it up with, um, you know, I guess Ryan Buschewski was on and off uh, his first years, but really before he got injured in 2019, he was, he was doing really well. And then Cameron Dicker comes over and takes over Ryan Buschewski's starting role at punter. So yeah, I mean, this has been, this has been a group that Texas fans have really just kind of didn't have to breathe or, you know, worry about their breathing when they took the field because it had done its job for so well or so long and done its job efficiently for so long. And so the unknown definitely is alarming. Um, I've I've personally never seen Will Stone kick in a game, so it's hard for me to really judge what he is going to be bringing to Texas. It's also different in high school too, and you know I think that um, it's there's a big big old question mark. And you're right, that's why it's the number nine group. And it, who knows, we may look back on this chip at the end of the season and be like, that should have never have been the number nine group. But there's just so much unknown, so much change in personnel in general, you know, at the, at, at both kicking and punting that, you know, you just don't know what to expect at this point. And it's hard to have anything higher than mediocre at best expectations. Yeah. Because what Texas has had, uh, as you just mentioned, has been so far above the average that we forget that when things are tough at those positions, kicking field goals, punting, man, it can change the outlook of your entire team uh, because it's so much about having the ability to deliver those field goals when you have to have them and, and change field position with your, with your punting game. Now, if you're a loyal listener, loyal follower, loyal watcher of, of the flagship podcast on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel or uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. We had Cameron Dicker on uh, the flagship podcast right before the NFL um, draft. And he said that he's impressed with Will Stone, that he helped recruit Stone to Texas, and he feels like everything will be okay. He also uh, was roommates with Isaac Pearson, who is the likely successor as the punter and Pearson from what I'm hearing is, is doing well that he, you know, can't say anything until you see him do it with the lights on 
consistently. It's one thing to do it in practice. It's another to get it done in a game. But uh, Dicker feels good about Isaac Pearson. The sources I've talked to feel good about Isaac Pearson as the punter. Now, here's some more good news. Two of the players who blocked kicks last year, uh, DeMarvian Overshawn and Keelan Robinson, are back. Marcus Washington has moved on. But they they did block three kicks last year. And Deshaun Jameson is back as a fifth-year senior, and he has three returns for touchdowns. Now, none of them were last year, and they need to get that spark back in, in the return game. But that that's some much-needed proven experience in the return game. Plus, you've got Xavier Worthy and – a host of other blazers now, Brennan Thompson and his uh, 10 to speed or um, in the hundred. So this, there is a lot of positives, even though the unknowns put special teams down here, there are some positives in the return game in, you know, the blocking game. And Oh, by the way, Jeff Banks is the special teams coordinator and he may be the best uh, special teams coordinator in the country. So, like you said, Taylor, this we may look back at putting special teams number nine. We probably will and say, oh, man, were we ever wrong? And yes. you, you'd be happy to say that. And there's we just gave you some really concrete uh, evidence as to why we might be wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right about, you know, the other areas of special teams, especially the return game and the speed there. I mean, speed is so crucial in special teams, not just as returners, but also, you know, the the um the gunners, you know, down the field. Yeah. I mean, look, if you go back to Michael Dixon's true freshman see or excuse me, Michael Dixon's Ray Guy Award season, that was twenty seventeen when Josh Thompson was a true freshman and his speed was really crucial and you know downing a lot of those punts that Michael Dixon had inside the 20 and inside the 10 and five yard lines sometimes um and so that's where you know having that speed in special teams is is big and that's you hope a guy like a Brennan Thompson who um you know as you mentioned won the 100 meter um and the the speed that he brings from like a track speed standpoint that he'll get on the field early in special teams and that's what you kind of want from true freshmen that maybe not be starters at their position you want the brendan thompsons to really you know hone in on special teams and that's where i think jeff banks is such a great special teams coach because people listen to him the guys listen to him and so um, they want to get on the field and play for jeff banks He's a really fiery type of coach. If you ever watch him out of practice, you know, he's the one that's it, like screaming in the guy's faces and stuff. And um, people respect him, you know, really do respect him as, as you mentioned, one of the best special teams coordinators in the country. So if there's any guy that can do the job, it's him. Um, and you you just really do hope that some of that speed really shows up because um, you may you may need it if there's a bad putt. You know, I mean, that's that's the reality. You, you may need those guys to down the ball so that people can't, you know, get even better field position if there is a, a missed punt or something like that. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Isaac Pearson um, does kind of take over the punting role. Another pro kick Australia guy, Texas has had back to back to back now with Michael Dixon and Ryan Buschewski and now him. So now is his time to shine. And you hope that Cameron Dicker's assessment of both him and Will Stone is accurate. And it could be. And, you know, as you said, and we, I said, like, we could look back on this and been kicking ourselves to rank it at number nine. 
Yeah, and don't forget that uh, Texas um, lost Justin Motter, the long snapper, who also was clockwork. You never worried about him. Um, and so now they're going to, uh, you know, rely on, and if I had my glasses, I would well, be they signed uh, the um... – Oh man, sorry guy, I'm forgetting his name. They signed a deep snapper. Um, oh yeah, Lance St. Louis. Yeah, Lance St. Louis. How did I forget that name? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, they've got they've got um, a decent situation. Oh, <laughs> gosh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> this is what my son makes fun of me about now all the time. What what are you looking for right now? I'll look on the I have it on the roster up right now. Oh my gosh. I'm looking for, Zach Edwards for God's sake. Okay. He's your he's your 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 uh long snapper. Uh and and I think they feel good about him um replacing Justin Motter. But again, Jeff Banks, look, Texas is lucky to have Jeff Banks there. If not for a Halloween party, he might be the head coach at Washington state. I'm not kidding. I mean, remember their head coach stepped down cause he wouldn't get vaccinated. Um, Jeff Banks was the punter on the Washington state team that went to the Rose bowl and played Michigan uh, in 97 with Ryan leaf at quarterback. And, and Jeff Banks is a high energy, uh, incredible recruiter. You know, David Beatty, uh, the former Kansas coach who was at Texas A&M with Jeff Banks under Kevin Sumlin said that all the other coaches would go listen to Banks um, meetings on special teams because he was that good. Mm -hmm. Now, when coaches talk about other coaches like that, uh, it tells you. And, you know, when I was talking to Gary Patterson for the insider uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, he, he mentioned Jeff Banks and how impressed he is with, uh, with his, you know, special teams teach ability, his, uh, his ability to communicate the importance of special teams, but also the execution, the technical execution of special teams. And it did show on the field for Texas, uh, last season. So very good reason Taylor to believe that special teams will finish higher than number nine in our position rankings um, after the season. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, th I thought when Steve Sarkeesian was putting together his coaching staff, him getting Jeff Banks was huge because we do know a former Texas coach tried to hire Jeff Banks and Jeff Banks essentially said, thanks, but no thanks. So, but he did believe in Steve Sarkeesian and, um, that was a huge get. I mean, I, I personally think, I think him and Bo Davis were probably two of the biggest pickups, you know, from the assistant coaching staff that Steve Sarkeesian was able to hire here. Yeah. And he's, um, you know, he's, he's a million dollar guy, but he's, he's worth it. And, yeah. and he was the guy that Nick Saban was the most upset about. Like, yes. yeah. you know, Saban knew Sarkeesian was going to go probably going to take Kyle flood with him since flood came with him. Um, from the Atlanta Falcons, but he did not expect Jeff Banks to leave Alabama. Uh, so that'll be another thing that I'm sure Nick Saban will 
we'll use as fuel when the Crimson Tide roll into Austin for that showdown at 11 a.m. on September 10th. Hey, at least Nick Saban didn't call out Steve Sarkeesian for buying his roster. So yeah. there still may be some respect there, at least. That's good. <laughs> yeah. All right. There you have it. The first two installments of our summer series, counting down uh, the position rankings for the Texas Longhorns. Next week, we will get to number eight and number seven. All right, Taylor, you ready for some love it or leave it? I am. Before we get to love it or leave it, we're going to take a really short break, but stick around because we have more football and baseball talk coming up in love it or leave it. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Chip, you uh, ready for some love it or leave it here? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All righty. Let me get this pulled up here. My first love it or leave it for you is love it or leave it. You can safely state who the Longhorns best offensive tackle is right now. Oh my gosh. I'm leaving this. <laughs> I have no clue. I have no clue. When Andre Carrick went down with a, uh, ankle injury toward the end of spring ball, they had Hayden Connor, the behemoth offensive guard out at left tackle. And, and they feel like he's, he represents everything that they're looking for in an offensive lineman, tough, countable, you know, does the right things. Maybe not the most, you know, athletic or have the best footwork. He's, you know, they call the, the offensive lineman with super quick feet and great balance dancing bears. I don't think anyone's going to say that about Hayden Connor, but Look, Dan Neal says in the flagship podcast interview on Monday, give me a guy with okay talent and great character who's coachable and puts the team first, and I'll show you a winner. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what it's going to take. And Taylor, if they have to play two offensive freshmen, two true freshmen on that offensive line uh, to get a better pass blocking performance than what they had last year from – a senior, a fifth-year senior yeah. last year, Christian Jones. He's a sixth-year senior this year with the COVID <laughs> redshirt. Um, and that's another thing Dan Neal said. If you haven't shown it to us by now, it ain't coming. So, yeah. no, I'm leaving this. I can't tell you. I cannot tell you uh, who the best offensive tackle is on the Texas football team right now. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I'm going to leave it because, I mean, as as we can regurgitate this all we want, as we say, like, the fact that there could be, you know, probably one offensive tackle that's a true freshman starting the season is uh, not ideal. I mean, that that's a very poor, you know, situation for a unit to be in. And so the fact that that is the case and we've never seen – you know, any of these offensive linemen that are true freshmen that could compete for starting playing time, we've never seen them in a college practice, let alone in a college jersey, except for when they took official visits and visits to Texas and, you know, geared up in Texas jerseys. That's the only time we've seen them. So, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely leaving this. And I have no clue who Texas' best offensive tackle is right now. Sadly, it actually might be a true freshman five-star that just, you know, enrolled this summer. And I do think Devin Campbell, uh, Kelvin Banks are special mm -hmm. uh, if their if their attitude is right and they care about winning, and they know that they've got a, 
a guy like Bijan Robinson behind him who should bring out the absolute best in every offensive lineman because you know if you just get in the way of your defender that Bijan Robinson will probably do the rest and go get you five, seven, 80 yards. So, you know, look, it may not be the worst thing. It's not ideal, but it may not be the worst thing because what Texas had last year at one of the offensive tackles was embarrassing. (laughs) All right. Taylor, love it or leave it. Number two. All right. Love it or leave it. You are more concerned about who will be kicking field goals right now than you are about who will be punting. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to love, I am. Yes. I'm going to love this. I'm more concerned about who's kicking field goals than I am. Um, I think Isaac Pearson's going to be okay as the punter. He may not average 46.7 yards per punt like uh, Dicker the punter last year, but uh, I think he can handle it. These these pro kick guys have been good. I mean, Michael Dixon for crying out loud. And and so, you know, I do have real concerns about the field goal kicking because what we saw in the spring game uh, from Burt Auburn to me was kind of a an elimination. Like you're now uh, eliminated from the island. Like yeah. your torch is out, you know? A survivor or something. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> now we didn't really see much of, of uh, Gabo Lozano, uh, the, the other walk on, but look, we're hoping Will Stone has some stones and can handle this job and kick field goals for Texas the way uh, Cameron Dicker did, or at least um anywhere close because dicker's now the record holder pretty much across the board for points scored by a kicker replacing phil dawson right right out loud so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna love this taylor how about you yeah i'm gonna love this too i think i think the concern is with field goal kicking and and it's more of a concern because it hasn't been a concern you know for texas if that makes sense i feel like it's almost amplified because it really has not been a situation that texas has been in, which is a very fortunate situation for Texas, but field goal kicking can really make or break games. I mean, you, it's like you have one job, that whole thing. And it's like, if you don't get that job done and you're a field goal kicker, then you literally can be the reason why teams win and lose games. And whether that's fair or not, it's, it's the, you know, the outside perception of it more times than not. So yeah, uh, will I like how you said, Will Stone better have some stones. Remember his Gotta be stone cold. We want him to be stone cold. Oh, yeah, stone cold. <laughs> stone cold. Not half stones. Yeah, stone cold, stone, stone cold. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know why I just said that. <laughs> we want him to be stone cold. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Dicker had three game-winning field goals, and one of them was against Kansas. Yeah, oh, God. Like, that ignominy would have would have hit Texas uh, in the town. Tom fired in 2019. <laughs> yeah, that was... And that was Les Miles had gone for two. They were behind. Um, they weren't tied. Yeah. He had to make it for yeah. Texas to win. So, um, you know, that's what you're hoping. You're hoping that uh, Will Stone is stone cold. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. Love it or leave it, number three. The final is love it or leave it. Texas baseball figured out enough in surviving the Super Regional to make you feel good about the Longhorns' chances of returning to the championship series in Omaha. You know, I don't feel good, so I'm going to leave it. But 
I do feel good about the the bats, the you know the that hitting lineup, and you know David Pierce gives so much credit um, to Troy Tulowitzki for coming in and really getting these guys not only uh, at the plate because Tulo was a great hitter, he was a great fielder, um, and he's really you know Pierce has said really helped uh, the infield, and I mean Texas is number one in college baseball, uh, in fielding percentage. So, um, wow. What a, what a sort of unsung hero under the radar, uh, you know, Troy Tulowitzki is because, you know, Skylar Messinger said a big part of the reason he chose Texas was to come and learn, uh, from Troy Tulowitzki and, you know, Trey Faltini's hitting the ball so much better this year and Murphy Staley for crying out loud. My point is, you got to jump on Notre Dame fast. You got to put big runs up and don't let that kid Jack Finley show up. He's like Malachi from Children of the Corn. <laughs> you want to see this kid come in out of that bullpen door because it probably means you're done. So I do feel good about that, Taylor. Everything else, I mean, Texas even made some uncharacteristic errors in the Super Regional. The pitching was all messed up. Um, and then it, and then it was fixed miraculously. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm going to leave this, but I do feel good about the Texas, you know, batting. They they have the ability to put up runs and put them up quickly. How about you? Yeah, I'm kind of torn with this because I would say you would hope, like I want to give benefit of the doubt to the team, I think, and making me feel good about the Longhorns chances of returning to a championship series in Omaha because of, you know, the way they did claw their way back. But I agree with you, you know, and, and I have, and I have faith um, at them at the plate too. I mean, the offense is not the concern at all. It's, it's the, it's not even just the pitching. It's, it's the, the depth of the pitching, you know, rotation and the bullpen, you know, how, how, deep that is or not so deep that is. I think that is such a cause for concern. It makes me really torn, but I want to feel good about it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like this team is poised to make a run. And I really do. I feel like, you know, when, when you can really rally and battle back in a situation like they did in the super regional, that can give, even if it's false hope, it can still give enough hope that these guys are going to buy in and, and, you know, real and believe that that wasn't just a coincidence. So I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm just going to love it. I'm going to love it. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, I think that what we saw from Pete Hansen obviously was out of character and, um, you, you really, it's hard for me to expect it in back-to-back -back games, I would say. Um, so I think I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to bounce back. And I really think that this could have been a, a huge momentum and confidence built booster for Tristan Stevens as well. And that's what you hope for. Um, you know, and Lucas Gordon, he, he gave up some, you know, runs that game too, but he was doing pretty well before, um, uh, I think it was like the fourth, fourth inning or fifth inning that he kind of got a little bit into a bog down, but they still, you know, rallied back and it, were able to win that game too. So I, I think I'm going to love it. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Cause I do think that this team is so talented, um, from a hitting standpoint that it's, it's, it's talented enough that it's going to pose a challenge for other people to be able to keep up with them. Yeah, I mean, this is this is going to test the theory of um, I'll take pitching over hitting any day because if you look back at Mississippi State last year with Landon Sims, 
He was unhittable when it right. mattered. And Will Bednar, I mean, you had two aces um, that you could you could bank on. And and normally you have two. Like you may not have a third starter, uh, but you have two guys that you feel like you can you can run out there and they'll give you six innings. And Texas doesn't have that right now. Heck, they they're trying to make sure Pete Hansen's right, right. Um, for this Notre Dame game. So if Texas is going to make that run, they are going to have to do it with with their bats. And and we're going to test the theory of of pitching versus hitting for this Longhorns team unless the pitchers all get right. And look, I I I was completely mystified by this pitching staff kind of losing its bearings after Tanner Witt went down with that, you know, elbow injury, Tommy John surgery. Uh, because Travis Staley and and uh, you know Aaron Nixon, all those guys were pitching pretty well right. uh, before that injury, and then they weren't. And and it's been a guessing game. Aaron Nixon's still not right. I mean, Jared Southard is more of the closer for this team um, than than Aaron Nixon. So, uh, but Travis Staley, Andre Duplantier, uh, Jared Southard have been pitching better, and they're going to need to to really come through in some obviously. Uh, critical situations because if you make a deep run, your pitching gets extended and you're going to have to um, hold it together while you hopefully put some runs on the board. So again, this is a fun Texas team to watch. You don't know what's coming next. So uh, I can't wait. I can't wait for Friday uh, to watch this Texas team take on Notre Dame. Yeah. Six o'clock, I believe, right? Six o'clock central. Yep. Yep. Yep going to be fun. fun. Yeah. So what would you tell people to do in Omaha? That's a good like, question. I mean, aside so, from the baseball. Yeah. I, I, I personally didn't do a ton like in the city. Um, just because like I was with the family of a baseball player. So it was a little bit of a different experience. And like, I, I don't know the proximity of TD Ameritrade to where like Rosenblatt, is it in the same area or no? No, it's, it's right. like downtown. Yeah. So, cause I know one thing that was really cool when I was there was the, there was a street across, across from like the parking lot at Rosenblatt and there, all of the houses were all like houses of teams. So it was like, there was a Cal State Fullerton house. There was a Texas house. There was this, that like people who own the house, like essentially allowed the, the teams and families and fans of different teams party at their house before that you went over to this and just walked across the street over to Rosenblatt. So that was so cool. But I don't think that's the case anymore because this was like, this was back in, again, 2004. I was in high school still. So when this happened, so um, yeah. yeah. Omaha definitely overthought things on building that new TD Mer- Meritrade Stadium, which doesn't have any of the character of Rosenblatt. I mean, yeah. you develop these traditions over years and years and years. Like you just mentioned these houses you know, becoming tailgate centers for each team. Yeah. That takes years to establish. And you're kind of out away from everything to where you could have that kind of charm across the street from the ballpark. Right. Yeah. And, it was so unique. It was so cool. Yeah. Like that, that was, so it was kind of hard for me to say, cause that would have been my favorite thing um, to do. There was one, I don't know the name of it. It was so long ago. There's a really good steakhouse that I actually, um, went to Misty's. Actually, it, maybe it was, it may have been Misty's. 
Yeah, it was really, really good. A funny story real quick here, Chip. So um, the guy I was dating at the time, I went to the steakhouse with him and his dad. And we were sitting there and some guy like came over to the table and was like, oh, um, are you here for the College World Series? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I play for Fullerton, Cal State Fullerton. And the guy was like, oh, that's so cool. I, I've been, uh, you know, I always love the College World Series being here, living in Omaha, this type of stuff. So this guy like walks away. We finish our meal and the my then boyfriend's dad asked for the check and the waiter was like, oh, um, somebody already took care of it. And so because of that and because of NCAA rule, he had to actually tell like his team, his coaches and stuff like, hey, some random person picked up our check at dinner and he almost was not, he was a starter. He was their starting center fielder. He was almost not allowed to start in the final series against Texas because the NCAA had to investigate who bought the dinner. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was, and they eventually, you know, had enough evidence to prove that like it wasn't, you know, a, a gift of any kind. It was just some random person doing a nice gesture. Um, however, it almost caused him not be able to play in the actual. Wow. Game. Yeah. Yeah. Look how far we've come now. In the I know, of, right? Now you have Lamborghini sponsoring you. Yeah. <laughs> Aston Martin. You, you, you better have people paying you to, to rep their food. By yeah, God. exactly. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be great. And we'll have all of the reaction right here on the flagship podcast to uh, Texas in the College World Series. And we will continue our uh, summer series ranking the positions of the Texas Longhorns. We started off with uh, number 10 and number 9 this week. 10, the offensive line, 9 special teams. Next week numbers eight and number seven. Um, thanks everybody for listening. For Taylor Estes, I'm Chip Brown. We'll see you over at horns247.com. Until next time, stay safe and keep the faith.